in this week's episode of From the Top. I'm literally making a note right now so that I can have it. Called uh, Beetlejuice, a lovely uh, Disney chicken chip version of what he was in the film. Like what show freaking starts with a funeral? Otho's absence in this musical is a gay hate crime. And then his appearance is also a gay hate crime. I have to disagree. Well, you can, and that's fine. <laughs> oh, you're not serious. We've got magic to do just for you. Okay, well, now I've hit record. Like, what are you going to tell me? I'm actually scared to talk to you about this show. <laughs> oh, you're not serious. Are you really? I'm actually scared to talk to you about this show. So, because here's the thing. Oh, we no. had initially watched the show. It was a beautiful, delightful moment. And d- deep diving this, rewatching oh, Source and no. going into all of this. This is your favorite show. And I am so scared. I don't know where I sit on this show with you. And I don't want you to hate me. This could be the end of our friendship. I don't know. Right off the bat, this is going to be an awkward season two, y'all. Um, I love that. Okay, well, I love that you knew that. And then you stacked it as this is the opening show. So we might not have a season two. It might just be this episode and then we're done. Uh, Steven, there's, no, there's nothing else to do but to take this show from, from the, the top. top. From the top. A five, six, seven... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the premiere of season two of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And I'm Steven 2.0. Oh my goodness, we have we are back from a little bit of a hiatus, which has been great. It's been, of course, I don't know how to take a break. I'm like so. you didn't even had a hiatus. You right? You didn't even had no hiatus. I had you. no hiatus, nah, girl. You have been busy, so thank oh God, God we had a hiatus. Yes, but. seriously, we are back in the booth. We are ready for season two. I'm so stoked for what this is going to be on the marquee this evening. We're talking about the one. The only say his name three times. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Holy crap! A ballad already, and such a bold departure from the original source material. Hey, folks, begging your pardon. Excuse me. Sorry to barge in. Now let's skip the tears and start on the whole, you know, being dead thing. You're doomed. Oh, Enjoy I love this musical so much. We are talking about Beetlejuice. And so this <sighs> is sort of, uh, I, I teased it in our uh, bonus episode. Scared uh, sheetless. Mm-hmm. Scared sheetless. I yes. did actually know that. Do you know? Did I mean? It's did, kind yeah. Of after shocking. thinking about it, if you, you thought about it, I and did. Figured it out. I yep. did. But uh, moreover, our season two theme, a theme to die for, mm. which is death, uh, or and sometimes life, and in in death in all of its forms, rebirth. Death can also mean rebirth. Absolutely, so. it sure um, can. But yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. And what better show to start our 
season two with a theme about death with a show about death. Oh my God. <laughs> Welcome to a show about death. You promised me a show about death, Mary. Um, and you set my expectations. So I have a little bit of a beef. What Disney chicken shit version of a bio exorcist did I walk into? <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. Uh, For a show about death, it just isn't dark. It okay. <gasps> How dare you, sir? Okay. But I'm also going to caveat to you: ninety percent of what I say about the show tonight is actually going to be very negative. However, I'm caveating. <laughs> I love this show. <laughs> And we'll talk about it. But we have so many other things to talk about. But I, I love this show. You might have to start the cry counter at the cry episode. Count right I mean, now. I was actually going to say I'm, I'm start very verklempt like right now that we're about to get into this thing. It's but okay. okay. It's okay. I love you. So, it's fine. First episode this season. Uh, I'm going to ask you, Mary, the lover of the show, the the. The creme de la creme of all shows for Jew. What is the synopsis of Beetlejuice, the musical? In three sentences or less. Beetlejuice is the story of a person who has been an outcast his entire afterlife. And he sees an opportunity to make a friend and an ally in a couple who passes away, the Maitlands to try and get himself to be seen again by someone, by anyone. And in doing so, he meets a young girl named Lydia who reminds him that although being flesh and bone is messy, sometimes it's all that you have. Hey, good job. Thank you. (laughs) But more so, I find it interesting that you centered it around Beetlejuice. I again, just like the film, do not think he's the lead in this show. (laughs) And I appreciate that. The lead in this show is Lydia. To me, it's Lydia. Sure. And I appreciate that perspective. Absolutely. And I think that it'll be something that we I'm really excited to We're even absolutely going to like rip into it. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But yeah. do you have anything it's, to add or change? No, I have nothing to add. It's just so <laughs> how do I say this? You're just going to have to rip the bandaid off on this episode. Like, don't I'm, spare my feelings. I'm just... not ripping the bandaid because here's I think here's what I have to say. I have some venom. Not Weber Venom. That's a separate type of Venom. Fair enough. But it's Venom with this show. So let's make it clear that I do like this show. I have some words for the person who took this and made a libretto. I'm going through the seven stages of grief with this show. It departed so much from the movie. The, upon the first time I watched this, like I, had, I hadn't seen the source film in so long. Sure. Me watching it. I enjoyed it so, so, so much. And then I went back and I studied and I got all this source and then I watched the source film. And then I again watched this musical. My brain got scrambled and I went, this is, this isn't right. This is not, what are we doing? Sure. But when I, when I take the step back, it's a great musical. So from a bird's eye view, it's a good musical. But when you zoom in, they wrote a solid show. But to me, there's just it's lacking the Easter eggs like Lawrence O'Keefe, who does a brilliant job of taking movie to stage like Legally Blonde and Heathers like does a really good job and like make giving the people what they want. And there's a lot of great 
Easter eggs, so to speak, but I'm missing so much of it. And I just think it's going to create a beautiful discussion with us. Of course, we have to do the cast list. Yes, of course. We need a call sheet before we can do anything else. There are 11 principal characters, and then you have multiple other people in the ensemble who play other different roles. Uh, so we will be dealing with the 11 title characters for this particular discussion. Uh, so your titular character, of course, is Beetlejuice, as is the name on the marquee. So Beetlejuice is, of course, the the bio-exorcist, the, the demon, you could also call him, that um, is the first person that Adam and Barbara Maitland meet upon their... Uh, uh, cross over to the other side spoiler alert which shouldn't be because the film's been out since like i don't know I, the 80s. Yeah, i'm like if you don't know this show by now it's like, just part it's kind of part of like the cultural zeitgeist yeah, like it's let's kind just of shame on you following from beetlejuice we have his counterpart who is lydia lydia is of course the iconic uh, played by the iconic winona writer in the film um i myself am strange and unusual she is the teenage daughter of uh charles and Delia, because Delia is her stepmother, but uh, Lydia is the one who was able to see Adam and Barbara after they've passed. Uh, she and Beetlejuice kind of have this close relationship um, in in the comic or in the in the cartoon series. Lydia and mm-hmm. Beetlejuice are best friends, so like it's there's a lot of different kind of takes on Lydia, but that is who Lydia is. Followed closely by Barbara and Adam Maitland, who are two of our other title characters who are in the house that um, ends up being purchased by Charles and Delia. Um, and that is the house that they haunt after they have passed. And then of course, in Charles and Delia. Uh, so in the Broadway version, Delia is the life coach for Lydia because Charles says that Lydia needs, you know, that kind of direction in her life because the beginning of this show sets it up with Lydia's mother passing away because we begin at a funeral for Emily Dietz. So, um, but then you find out that Charles and Delia are actually sleeping together and Lydia finds that out and it causes a whole kerfluffle of a thing. But uh, Delia is supposed to be very much like speak to the crystals using the power of the universe. And then of course we have one actor or actress will play Maxie Dean and Juno. So Maxie Dean is the the backer for when Charles wants to make the this kind of haunted house and use it as like a paid spectacle. Maxie Dean is the one who will um, kind of financially back that endeavor. And then Juno is the caseworker for Adam and Barbara uh, on the other side. Very brassy, very, uh, I mean, just she's, I mean, to be honest with you, like I would play, I mean, I would play Delia in a minute, but I would also play Juno because I feel like her character is like super fun. She's a little bit part, but I mean, there's a really good connection between um, her and uh, Beetlejuice, which we find out. Um, Moving swiftly along, we also have Otho, who is uh, Delia's guru. He puts on an act where he's very uh, above it all, kind of, and he also can kind of channel dance the universe and he knows all the things. And I have some words about Otho. Fan, again, 
fun. I'm so excited. Um, last two characters, we have the Girl Scout. You see at the top of Act 2, palate cleanser to begin Act 2 with. And then finally, Miss Argentina is the, uh, I guess you could say receptionist in in the film. She is the one the behind... The netherworld. The netherworld. She is the one behind the window who has slit her own wrist. And she goes, I wouldn't have had my little accident. That's who that is. And Miss Argentina has um, a fantastic number in uh, Act 2 called If um, if I Knew Then What I Know Now. What do you think about this double cast? <laughs> I, uh, to be honest with you, I actually, I really like it if you have something where the role is small enough that you can't put an actor into it and you have somebody who is able to split. In, in the version that I watched on Broadway, the actor who played Delia also doubled as Miss Argentina, that all she has to do is throw on a green suit and then they yeah. green up her face and then she becomes Miss Argentina. I guess if you think about it from a financial perspective, you're, you you can use what you would pay an actor to fill that role to be able to do other things. It gives actors the ability to be able to uh, dual role and um, kind of you know flex their theater muscles. Um, I mean, it's very like, I mean, Hamilton did that, does that same thing with a a lot of double casting once characters are killed off. I actually land on the opposite side of all of this. I d- of course Deli- you do, honey. Well, of because Delia is not Delia is not dead yet, and or dead ever. I think they were banking on like the makeup to hide enough of it and change enough of it. But the entire time, I just went, "Oh God!" From the tech, the technical theater person in me is going, "Oh, she has to get out of that makeup. Oh, she's gonna have to go back to her. Like, how's this gonna happen?" Like, it pulled me out just as a theater person. But I think to a natural ongoer, it's probably not gonna affect it too much. Generally, the person playing Delia is gonna be a fantastic performer. So you want a fantastic performer in this amazing role of Miss Argentina. I follow a lot of the cast that was on Broadway, and I know that Natalie Charles Ellis is the person who played Delia. She stepped in for Leslie Kreitzer the week that we went to go see it um, in December of 2022 um, because Leslie was off doing something else and so uh, sometimes like because like in this on the wiki that I'm looking at they actually have a different actor uh, listed for Miss Argentina so it looks like there is a possibility that like this it could be two different actors they should have had the Girl Scout also play like Miss Argentina or something sure I guess is something because you know to like equal it out I don't know so I just look at it from that perspective too Delia has already got a great role especially in this musical um so like handing it to someone else too might have been like an up for an ensemble member but you know but that's it's it's splitting hairs like the great performance and it's a great number so I understand it's a lot to process but the good news is you and your spouse died in your own house that gives you clout that means the two of you should stick around lucky for you I dropped by yeah you seem like nice guys little on the pottery barn and dry white wine side that's for me I've been scaring for millennia I'm the bio exorcist giving houses animas flush out all the breathers you can breathe easy stick with me I'm like a Jesus. Well, that's your call sheet. Those are your 11 principles. I think because this plot is a little bit different from the Beetlejuice that we all sort of know and grew up with, Mm -hmm. I think we need to do just a quick plot overview. Not maybe get into how it differs, because we'll talk about that naturally. What is a quick 
plot overview of this musical, would you say? Um, so it, like you had kind of mentioned, it starts out with Emily Dietz's funeral. Mm-hmm. And we immediately get introduced to Beetlejuice at this funeral um, with Lydia and Charles. Mm-hmm. So everyone's there. The entire ensemble's there. Everyone's on stage. And Beetlejuice is front and center. We start with the funeral and then we fast forward into Barbara and Adam Maitland living just a day in their life. Barbara and Adam succumb to a tragedy and much like in the film, they die, but they don't, it's not a car accident. They fall through their the floor in their house and they both die in the basement. Beetlejuice shows up and says, hey, I'm here to try to help you because he's like, if I can get someone to like, if I can mentor them or I can stay here, then I won't have to go, you know, banished to the netherworld. And so he tries to take them under his wing. He's teaching them how to haunt the house. And but they're then, just so inept. But they are so <laughs> 1000% inept. Then Charles has purchased the home and of course everything has been moved out and we get introduced to Delia and to Lydia and Lydia she finally sees Adam and Barbara as you know in the sheets but the the whole the interesting thing about this between the film and uh, which I know you said we were going to talk about but I'm yeah, just yeah, no, it's okay. um Lydia is desperately trying to get a hold of her mother and is desperately trying to make contact with her mother who has died and so she thinks that being able to talk to Adam and Barbara to use the handbook to be able to go to the other side she'll be able to get her mother back and or to get her to at least talk to her. I mean, truly, right up until the end of the first act, it does kind of follow the movie a little bit. Not shot for shot, but I mean, it does hit the major points yeah. of that. And we go through, you know, the haunting of the house. We get right up to that iconic dinner scene with everybody around the table. She finally hits a breaking point where she goes, nobody's listening to me. And so she calls out Beetlejuice's name three times and releases him into the real world. And that's when all hell breaks loose. And it becomes a matter of how many people can we scare getting them into the house. Fast forward very quickly into Lydia coming over to the other side trying to find her mother. But she and Charles have a moment where where Lydia goes, why can't you say mom's name? And Charles says, you're not the only person who lost somebody. And so they come together in this moment of dad and daughter going, we both mutually lost a human. We can't forget their legacy by making them silent in our memory. I think you're hitting on a lot of maybe what this plot is. Is mm-hmm. uh, for sure because it's absolutely honed into a lot of Lydia's story inside of things and dealing with loss and dealing with that sort of struggle. The film is very Maitland heavy. Yeah, like it is. it's all about them and their journey and how Mm -hmm. their loss in life. But we sort of get to shift focus in this musical to the Lydia character. Mm -hmm. And I I like what you said at the beginning. And I think that's where, um, because in my seven stages of grief, this is where I've landed with the show. This musical is absolutely more in the canon of that cartoon series than it is with like this almost source film to me. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm okay with it. Okay, I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm okay with it. Okay, I'm okay with it.
do our namesake and uh, do a little bit of deep diving. So I think we're going to take this from the beginning. That will bring us back to So, Doe, where do we start? What is Beetlejuice? It's where I started with this. That's a great place to start. It's wonderful. <laughs> a great place to start. So, uh, Beetlegeist mm-hmm. is a star, mm-hmm. as a lot of people know. It's the 10th brightest star, actually. It sits as the left hand or the shoulder of Orion. Um, yeah, it, it's been looked at since humans have been looking up at the stars because mm-hmm. everyone notices it's slightly ochre, yellowish, orange hue. And it like blasts in and out of brightness and not, which mm-hmm. is, in, in of course, if you have nothing better to do but stare up at the night sky, you're going to notice a fluctuation in this light. Uh, uh, so, ah, yeah. to have that kind of time. Did you know it actually exploded in 2018? I didn't know that, actually. But no fear. We are outside of any light year zone that would immediately affect us. Oh, so fantastic. we're okay. Well, we're okay. I don't have to plan my the end just like just yet. So it starts as a star and it's shrouded in mystery. Ooh. Really, the beginning of all of this starts with a writer by the name of Michael McDowell. Uh, Michael McDowell wrote this script and is he he grew up sort of a, a Lydia obsessed with death. Um, and this was in the late 50s, early 60s. Like people were worried. Uh, what is he doing? This isn't normal. He was very inspired growing up in Alabama by H.P. Lovecraft, whom is a pretty well-known author in his own right. Uh, all the sort of sci-fi, sort of suspense, mystery, scary, sort of off sort of things. So I can definitely see some correlation in the various works that this Michael McDowell has produced over his time. But he attended Harvard, where he got his master's in English, and he wrote many, many books, um, even had some shadow author doing some gay detective novels. That's fantastic. And it actually makes sense because he actually met his partner, Lawrence Senelik, at Harvard doing some like film studies and different things. So if you ever want to like throw it in a bigot's face, uh, make their head explode a little, just drop that the writer of Beetlejuice was gay. I'm literally (laughs) making a note right now so that (laughs) I can have it for future uh, bigotry. Like, let's go. I'm ready. Absolutely. So you have to start sort of think, what was the inspiration? How do you come up with this weird, weird character? Mm -hmm. This lovely gay couple had some really bad neighbors sad this is the era of like poltergeist and like ghostbusters Mm -hmm. right where bad things sort of terrorize and mcdowell loved these and always wanted to write his own story mcdowell's partner one day asked thinking about their bad neighbors what would happen if you had good ghosts and the people that moved into that house were awful. Thus was born. <laughs> Thus was born a seed of an idea of the Maitlands and a bioexorcist, meaning the <laughs> removal of living beings, not ghosts, from a house. Love it. Our Harvard educated writer wrote a script. He also co wrote this script with a man named Larry Wilson, who had done some other things with different studios, and uh, this script then got passed around. This is again that usual story we always say What are you doing? This is, this is insane. Why are you ruining your career and reputation? Like, this is going to go nowhere and you're going to never do anything again. Mm -hmm. I think, if anything, our lesson we've learned, especially over season one, if it's quirky and told it'll be too off the wall, it's going to succeed. Ship it. One thousand (laughs) percent. Can it? Ship it. Cut print. Let's look at Shucked currently, like, killing the Broadway scene right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is the weirdest idea for a 
fucking musical. I, I, I'm what? just saying. I just, Any, okay. Anyway. Moving you know, on. One of their ends in the industry took a look at it, dropped a script at the desk of Geffen Film Studios. That name might ring a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty, pretty popular. The person threatened to quit if they, if the studio didn't pick it up. So Ooh. the studio then okay. gave this script to Tim Burton, mm. who uh, Tim. had just come off of working his first film, <laughs> a Pee Wee Herman movie. <laughs> weird. <laughs> what? But they were sort of giving this new guy, they're like, hey, this is a weird script and this guy does weird things. Oh, so, boy. So at the ripe old age of 29, Tim Burton, suddenly, magically, the studio was interested because Tim Burton clearly is going to be a well-known director, and they can see that. So they were interested in owning the rights to this script, but nobody wanted to produce it. So after some rewrites, Warren Skarin, who then was sort of a film script dramaturg. Oh my. He'd fixed some stuff with Top Gun, made it extra (laughs) funny, did a lot of stuff. Okay. So they fixed a few things in the script. Like, uh, apparently the Maitland's death was more gruesome than falling off a bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beetlejuice was a lot more homicidal. He was doing a lot more killing. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Lydia was two daughters, not just one. Oh, interesting. And just a whole lot of other little tiny things. Plus, Scarn did, uh, like with uh, Top Gun, added some humor, made it twice as funny, punching up some of the, the wit and the jokes. And sure. So it was less macabre. macabre. Less macabre. They couldn't figure out what to name this because finally, after all of these edits and things, the studio finally said, fine, we'll try it. <laughs> uh, so the character was finally named after this star. Uh, as this sort of something everyone's interested in, but nobody knows, and it's shrouded in mystery, and like, is it good, is it bad, is it going to kill us? So this is where that original uh, Scared Sheetless comes in. There was a lot of back and forth. It was also potentially up to be called House Ghosts. Mm -hmm. That's so catchy. So I I would absolutely... I would absolutely watch that. Mm-mm-mm. No, 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 no. The rest is sort of history with this film. Fun fact being, um, Sammy Davis Jr. was looked at for Beetlejuice. But so many mainstream girls we now know today were looked at for Lydia. And I'm just going to rattle these off. Sarah Jessica Parker, Brooke Shields, Lori Laughlin, Diane Lane, Justin Bateman, Molly Ringwald, Juliette Lewis, and Jennifer Connelly. Alyssa Milano was actually going to be Lydia, but Burton saw Winona Ryder in a lesser known film called Lucas. It's sort of this young love romantic story of the 80s. Um, She was ultimately chosen and then thus propelled her on to Heather's and everyone told her, no, please don't do that. You're going to kill your career, which again, if they say no, do it. Do it. This was the fun fact that I didn't know. Angelica Houston was actually supposed to be Delia. Um, I... Am in love with every single minute of that. Not that I don't love Catherine O'Hara because literally, like exact same. It's yeah, Catherine O'Hara. Same. Same. Angelica Houston. Oh, that's fire. Yeah. Morticia. She apparently, yeah, she apparently had to remove herself due to illness. And yeah, I think the oh, Adams family sad, sort of sad, sad. not stench, but like that whole yeah of genre. You know, it is that would have fit. It would have fit after she dropped out due to illness. O'Hara jumped like jumped at that opportunity the rest of the cast was super hesitant because they all read the script and Mm -hmm. apparently it doesn't read well because you have to have like this imagination (laughs) weird
lot of the fun film stuff. Now, there's a little less uh, just about this Broadway show to mm-hmm. talk about the history of this Broadway show. Yeah, it had its stint 30 years of being an amazing cult classic that is beloved. I grew up with it. I remember watching Absolutely. it all the time growing up. This is more of a uh, story in origin of a film studio wanting to get a piece of the pie in the theater scene. Huh. Okay, okay. sure. Let's so go. I'm going to th- I'm going to throw some stuff at you. Oh my god, throw. I can't catch, right. but let's try. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers owns the rights to Beetlejuice. Sure. As a film. Yes. Okay. Warner Brothers is seeing Disney slowly taking over Broadway, cleaning up the scene, making Times Square polished and prim and a tourist attraction and again. Pretty, yes. They're going, "Hey, we need to get in on this." They have come up with their own sort of line of musicals. Most of these we know. I don't think we clock them as Warner Brothers musicals. So I'm going to throw some names at you and you're going to be like, oh, of course. Of course. Bridges of Madison County. Oh, yeah. Elf. That's a, a musical? Christmas- what? Yeah. Oh. A Christmas Story. Oh, well, yeah. There's also Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Yep. And then there's also some lesser ones that failed, like Lestat, which is a uh, interview with a vampire musical. Shut uh, cu- up. Curious Incident, then the nighttime dog one. Misery is apparently a musical that I was unaware of, among some other other ones that failed miserably. So the script is written for this musical. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice's Boston previews were, the original script for this was raunchy. Yeah. Raunchy. I've read, I've read some things. So like, you can sort of see that the, what do you call it? The shadowing tingles of sort of what's left over in the current, what made it to Broadway. So like the jugs reference right at the beginning, drug usage, the panties line, talk about orgies and like a few other lingering. It was apparently so much worse or better. Um, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> depending on how you want to put it. But every producer was like, Broadway's shiny now. Disney changed everything. We can't put this on Broadway. So they had to go back to the drawing board. But there's still like tinges of this more raunchy thing still lingering. Totally. It finally made it to Broadway. It was having a pretty successful run. But then it sort of plateaued and then dropped. The theater set the eviction date because they were no longer making money. Like you have to talk about the logistics of Broadway, the not fun side of Broadway, which Mm -hmm. is the producer side, the money side, not getting butts in seats. You're not making us money. We cannot afford to continue the show in our theater. When they were at the Winter Garden Theater. Mm -hmm. The Winter Garden Theater. However, something special happened because we are in a social media world. Suddenly, a moment of resurgence. TikTok happened and a younger demographic started posting uh, them singing Say My Name, doing lip syncs to Say My Name. The through line of teens, once again, feeling unseen and unheard, is creating buzz around this musical. Mm -hmm. The show was starting to see a surge of butts in seats. However, they had already booked and contracted a new show to come into the Winter Garden Theater. The Music Man! was not set to close. This nope. has never happened. This show, this has never happened. They were scrambling, scrambling to find a new space. Alex Brightman was making commercials on New York local television, being like, hey, we have a show. We need <laughs> a place to put it. Us? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is all during the COVID times. And, you know, clearly we had a pandemic in the middle of this. Close right. for all of that. Right. But yeah. landed at the Marquee Theater and then just closed at the beginning of this year. January so, 8th. But that's that's our from the beginning. That is where this show 
was birthed. I'm I'm really grateful that you that you do these because I just love I don't know I I love knowing like and especially with this musical because I did like I did obsess over it and I still am like I still I knew a lot of those different things like yeah the the whole like watching the commercials where they you know Alex was like well you know we're being evicted but you know un- until we're evicted yeah. like you come see our show <laughs> and like and yeah it was something that was it was unbelievable an unbelievable marketing strategy because once they got into the marquee theater then like you know obviously people were coming to see the show and it was great and it was great but then they started to dip again and then they announced the closing of the show here's a fact that i'm sure you probably found in all of your various fact finding yeah yeah when they announced the closing of their show tickets went astronomically high right but people were buying them out like they were i mean obviously going out of style the week that they closed the marquee theater ranked in 2.5 million dollars in one week's worth of ticket sales okay so you announce the closing of a show and that's how you make your money back like no that's not okay but yeah the whole like nuance of all that of this was when it when it went well when it came back after covid they kept saying well do we call this a revival because it had no, a no. year off. Like, is that a thing? <laughs> Can we do that? Like, Can we it, it, do that? <laughs> so it was kind of fun. So it just has this really awkward, fun story. So it it itself has had this life and death and rebirth and death and life. And it's it's living out its namesake. Absolutely. And so. Welcome to a show about death. I found my frequency. Crystal, speak to me. What are they saying? Everything, everything happens for a reason Be a beacon of light in the world Put a little alright in the world There are spiritual guides above, look up and see them Perception is reality Just Having our from the beginning out of the way I thought it would be fun to do one new segment this season. And a I, new segment? I love yeah. a new segment. So I wanted to kind of see what critics maybe thought. I want to call this segment Critics Review. Opening night. It's opening night. There are so many different things that you could pull from this. And I think... It, this reading these really harkens back to again the reason why we do this show not everybody's gonna love it but the people who love it much like the the cult following of heathers yeah they love it i mean like yeah. there were 330 million streams of beetle of beetlejuice the album on spotify i want to say from when they started at the marquee i'm I gonna think say half of those were yours i thank you i was about to say i was about a hundred thousand of them but it's fine <laughs> but reading all these reviews and and just getting people's different opinions is is wonderful uh Peter Marks, theater critic for the Washington Post, was pleased by the changes made during the show's transition to Broadway. Quote, during its tryout run in November in Washington's National Theater, the blithe, dizzily antic spirit of the movie was suffocating under the weight of sophomoric phallic gags. This reworked incarnation under Alex Timber's direction breathed slightly more enjoyably, even as it remains too faithful to the pumped up inclinations of book writers Scott Brown and Anthony King and composer lyricist Eddie Perfect. This means that the eager to please quotient of a musical about a quest by a bevy of souls alive and dead to alleviate loneliness is still amped up a bit too frantically. This may be more of a concern to overly entertained theater analysts than to those musical theater enthusiasts who thrive on supercharged exertions of an ensemble 
on hyperdrive. On a measurement scale of energy output per minute, high octane Beetlejuice would now be the safest ticket in town. I think that's a balanced review. I think so actually. too. I think so yeah. too. It, it, it hits on some things that it, clearly they didn't enjoy, mm-hmm. but uh, overall they say buy a ticket. So I think that's praise. And maybe I have an idea of what this needs to be in my head. So you have to go through these like, seven stages of grief <laughs> yourself with this musical absolutely over the death of what you think it should be and then sit down and realize no i had a really good time mm-hmm. and it was good this is going to be the most bipolar show because i'm going to like rip on it and then i'm going to be like oh but i loved this character <laughs> i'm i'm literally strapped into my chair and i'm, I'm waiting for the rocking back and forth so let's get into this main plot switch then. What do we think about this shift of focus from the film where the Maitlands are the protagonists versus this musical where the Dietzes are are kind of our main people and Lydia especially. And of course, Beetlejuice has been ramped up in all of this. But Maitlands kind of take a supporting character backseat. Like it's very clear that the main character is almost not Beetlejuice again too, but is more, but Mm -hmm. Lydia's there and it's from her advantage. It's her story in Mm -hmm. a way. Having watched the source material and hold it close to my heart. So, I mean, I will watch Beetlejuice at any moment when I need a pick me up. Michael Keaton just embodied who this, I mean, he just kind of ran with it and, I'm pretty sure a piece of trivia is that a lot of those scenes, he improvised those. Like there was rarely a script that he had and he just kind of like Tim Burton went, okay, cool. Like go to town and we'll just play off of what you do. Shifting the focus and making it more about Lydia, especially since we start with the death of Lydia's mother, it answers a lot of things that I think the movie just made canon without needing to discuss it. Yeah. So knowing that Charles had already like has a step or has a wife now that is Lydia's step mother we never talk about the fact that Lydia's mom died like we don't we never know that in the film we just know that Delia is stepmom right and so I think it was really powerful to shift it into this lens of we're going to start you at a funeral like what show freaking starts with a funeral like rarely do you see that kind of thing Lydia sets it up in the beginning you're invisible when you're sad and it was such a powerful like idea that then we use that as the basis of the plot line for the next two hours you are invisible when you're sad it's so powerful to take it through the uh, basically the lens of a child because children are the ones that see the things that adults don't see we've talked about that in so many of our shows that kids are the ones that see the things and adults are blind to all of it. So of course Lydia is going to be the one who sees Adam and Barbara and they're going to like hold on to her because they're not having their own children. So they want to hold Lydia close, but then she gets rebellious because they're not going to do what she wants to do. And she's got to go off and do her own thing to be able to figure out all of her stuff. And I then, swear to God, if you tell me that Beetlejuice is Mary Poppins, I'm going to like pop off. That's I what mean, I'm gonna do. I wasn't, <laughs> but now you've said something. I think Beetlejuice is more like a genie who doesn't who can't harness the power of the lamp until he has someone do it for him like one of the beginning songs where adam and barbara say his name and he's like 
I need someone living to do this. Like, you can't help me right now, but you can help me in other ways. Yeah, this was a sorry. This was a fun, like tiny fact I found in in all of this digging. Like, why? Why do you have to say Beetlejuice's name three times? What is the the magic of that? Because we know he is a demon. Mm -hmm. It's it's a verbal contract. When you say something three times, it is intentional. It is with purpose. It's not accidental. So him professing you must say it three times and that is our verbal contract because you wouldn't mm-hmm. accidentally say a ridiculous name like this three times no. but it, it is the person's intention then that they wanted that they decided that that is something they committed to so it is just as if you took a pen to paper and that's sort of the demon side of it which is kind of fun that was a fun thing that i i found in all of the the deep dives i love it because like if you think about it truly i mean that that spills over into any other you know like film that crosses into that territory like you don't if you say the name it much like Rumpelstiltskin say the name it gives it power that's why at the end of act one when Lydia makes the choice to do that and she goes I can't keep living like this and she's like she says his name and Barbara goes no Lydia you don't know what will happen and she's like I don't care and she does it anyway is just it's the hubris of of youth going, I don't really give a shit about what's about to happen. I just know that I need something to change. And yeah. ah, to be 20 again and think that, you know, I could, you know, that we could just do that thing without ramifications. Ha ha. Right. Jokes yeah. on you. A lot of the show is like the hubris of man, right? Like oh, we, you're faced one, with your mortality. Yes. Yeah. 1000%. So, which is also in the film very much. It makes you question the mundane and mm-hmm. are you living your life to the fullest what are you doing which is kind of bringing it back around to the maitlands do we care that maitlands are taking sort of a backseat in this main storyline because it shifted focus so much that that main theme for me watching the musical after right after in succession with the film again i went oh wait what's what's going on mm-hmm. what where are the Maitlands? Like the Maitlands became the Beetlejuice and we're only in like 20 minutes of this you know, <laughs> musical in a way. You're like, what's going on? But, you know, so we're kind of stuck with the version of the story and them as characters because they were the main characters of the film. But they definitely I, I don't want because this almost crosses into like how it was performed. And I don't want it to be that way. I would never ruin Carrie Butler as a performer. They're never. performed almost dumb. And helpless. And I think uh, thinking about it and having watched as as much footage as I have, and um, I actually got to talk to Carrie Butler like on our Instagram. Oh, that's very nice. Um, I think that you know they they play dumb like in the very beginning because they're the underlying theme of this is I am doing something that I think gives me purpose, and then when they die and they they go through Barbara 2.0, right? She's talking about all this stupid stuff that they used to do when they were alive, and she's like, I don't even like pop. Like, why did I do this? This is so stupid. Like, I don't like I wasted all of my time doing this. And I think it's a great character arc for them specifically because they're spending their human lives pretending that they want things and like the whole get ready, set, not yet. Like they're they're both hesitating. Yeah. In which is the, which is what they're singing before right before they die in their house. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Get ready, set, not yet. Yeah. But I have to disagree. 
Well, you can, and that's fine, but no, I'm just no, no, giving no. you my why. No, I no, 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 exactly. But here's the thing, and this is where it sort of crosses over into I wish more of the source was in. Because instead of this sort of side plot with Delia and Charles having to hide their relationship from their daughter, which to me doesn't help move the story forward in any way, I would have rather... They have a they have a moment where they're with Beetlejuice in the attic and they're trying to like where he's essentially given up on them to <laughs> be like, no, I, you guys are helpless. I cannot make you scary. I cannot do anything. You are not going to be of use to me. And then they have this moment where they like get to draw the chalk door and they're almost summoned into the, the netherworld. Mm hmm. I would have rather had them taken that moment as opposed to going into this side plot of Charles and Delia having to hide a relationship from their daughter. I would have rather had a foreshadowing of them getting to go into the netherworld waiting room like source canon, because that's more interesting and plot driving for our B plot than this superfluous like oh, we can't, we have to hide this from our daughter, which doesn't do anything. All you need to do is do a line drop that, oh, we're going to get married, Lydia. And that would have been enough. It could have been a quick four-sentence scene, like transitionary scene even, sure. as opposed to like them getting caught in bed and then them doing the whole thing. I would have rather them taking that time in the script to like give me some more of those things that I know and love and us meeting the netherworld people a little earlier, even doing if I knew then what I know now earlier in the show, because that would have given Barbara that little seedling to be like, oh, maybe I can be Barbara 2.0. But I'd, I just wish that's something I just wish with this whole thing where I would have liked equal parts, Maitland's and Dietz's, as opposed to just sort of shoving them into a backseat and saying, I guess we're stuck with them. They were part of the film. Sure. She says with an eyebrow cock. <laughs> I have no cocked eyebrows. I have, I have thoughts on why they did it that way. But I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. again, that's, well, you're the, well, that's the whole the point of this is you are, you told me in 100. the beginning that this is not, I mean, I, 100. if I really just told you that you weren't allowed to have your own thoughts about things because they oh, differed God, yeah. from me, like, no, 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 I'm just, well, but, here's yeah, the, but here's the other thing because Lydia is a beautiful story to oh, tell absolutely. on her own. Yeah. And she's to me, the focus again, and Beetlejuice is her, vehicle to tell her story mm -hmm. watch me make you cry on episode one i like i think you maybe identify with lydia wholeheartedly yeah. and because i feel we've we've talked about it you like you've lost you lost your mother at a very young age mm -hmm. when i was and a freshman then, in college and then last last year when mm -hmm. when we had started this podcast i think you had lost your father and so finding this musical was absolutely like that thing for you that you absolutely can be like oh i get this i get everything about this show and i love that you found this show because not only do i think it was maybe healing for you but i think you got to see a lot of what you were going through too what you had gone through you probably thought those same things that's a resonating feeling to not only being a teenager being unheard but for any young person or any person period who's gone through loss and they can connect with that so i think that's beautiful even though it's a huge divert from the original source film mm -hmm. that this story lydia's story got to be given the driver's seat yeah i agree you're so smart a stand-up role i'll
Big about to offer, let you know But I prefer my chances down below Beetlejuice, yes. Beetlejuice yes. Being young and female doesn't mean that I'm an easy mark I put some in with piranhas, I don't need a shark Yes, life sucks, but not that much Okay, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, be a darn sparrow The lecture I'm offering you a full-time spectre Shifting focus a little bit. So we brought up Delia, and Delia is again a major departure from the Catherine O'Hara version. Sure that was. We know. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna drop something on you, and maybe you'll remember. The original production of this had Leslie Kritzer, who played Pickles in the Great American Trailer Park musical. Sure did. Sure freaking yes. did. <laughs> I loved her in this role and i loved once i accepted a life coach person as opposed to an artist <laughs> doing her thing i i loved her in this role and i honestly i think she kind of stole the show like she i was wanting her to be on stage because i wanted to laugh again mm-hmm. from her her fun humor it's one of those things that is so refreshing like you said you wanted to see her again because you wanted to laugh because the show itself has such dark themes and it's so rooted in this idea of we are beginning in death. And while Beetlejuice does, in fact, offer a lot of comedy, I mean, Alex Brightman was iconic in this role. You only, like you said, you do only see him like in certain things. And then in, kind of, in act two, he kind of steps in into more of a thing once he's released. But I think that truly Delia becomes that palate cleanser that you have that you're like, I know that I can laugh at her because she's so ridiculous. Like, I think that this is great. And I just, need a break from all of this other stuff because like my brain can't handle this and the whole song that she sings with Lydia and then says you know like buy more crystals and everything happens for a reason like that that song in and of itself was so good and it's, it was it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite lines in that show it's there's a crystal what is it saying buy, buy more crystals <laughs> during the lyrics of this song you actually find out a little bit more about Delia's past like just as just as a little micro moment about you know because you have a cat because that's your last chance to have a family and you can see that she's actually kind of a sad person herself but she hides it under this really shiny beautiful thing and you know I mean as my guru Otho says you know depression is like an ugly sweater it's good to wear once and then never wear it again she does give a facet of humanity where it's you hide your sadness under this really happy persona or this really like kind of out there persona hoping people will just like look past you um and i really i enjoyed it because like that's one thing i always thought was just kind of hard between Catherine o'hara and winona Ryder is the fact that like she is so adversarial almost to delia or not to delia to lydia and she's yeah. very much like just do what i tell you like i'm, I'm having people over like don't just 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 get out of my way and then with this Delia is very much like no I'm your dad tells me that I need to help you and why won't you let me in and why won't you let me help you and Lydia's like I don't need you I need my mom and Delia's like I would never ever take the place of your mom but it's again the arrogance of youth not knowing that there's a difference between those things so when we saw Natalie Charles Ellis as this role I mean she was I mean just flipping phenomenal and all of that wow waxing poetic coming back to the main question at hand um i think it's an excellent palate cleanser and it is something that is important to the show to kind of keep people it keeps the flavor balanced because then it it brings people back to neutral to then flip them to do something else yeah one thousand percent i i feel like but again this is me coming creeping back in i think there's a world where we could have kept her 
an off the wall, maybe more wacky artist who's more aloof and maybe just disinterested in having the kid sort of thing. Even in the set, they they have these art pieces that we know and love from the, the mm-hmm. film. And I'm like, that makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Why are these here? Because it's not her art. Are they, are they going to come alive? Are they going to do anything? And then they never did. And then I was like, wah, wah. but I ended up really enjoying the changes to her character because I also think it adds depth into maybe what Charles decision making. He hired a life coach for his daughter to get through the death of her mother mm-hmm. instead of dealing with it himself, which just adds that layer exactly in a parallel world. She could have been the aloof, like take a drowsy chaperone approach to it. And she just, sure. yes, you know, whatever, go cry in your room while I drink my champagne. Like <laughs> something, which would then maybe add some fuel for Lydia just to be like, I'm not seen. No one gives a shit. When the news of, oh, we're getting married, that would hit even harder. Mm-hmm. As opposed to someone who's actually trying to be in your life. Sure. Maybe that would hurt more. So I don't know. That's me again. I'm, I'm fixing the script as we go. But. <laughs> Love Business it. friends. <laughs> I have only known this amazing, amazing man and his unique daughter for a few months. I don't even know how many. I'd have to check my pay stubs. But as my guru, Otho, always says, What? What's going on, Delia? Are you all right? Um... Uh, I'm so sorry. I don't. I don't know what just happened. I meant to say. <laughs> Lydia's suicidal ideation slash want to be dead that we know of utterly alone in in the film. Iconic, iconic moment in her death shrouds, writing and writing upstairs mm-hmm. on her desk. Mm-hmm. It's it's not really a focus of Lydia. Lydia, again, is focused on really is um, only obsessed with death because of the passing of her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so but do we think it's healthy for Lydia um, to sort of be focused on this? We see Beetlejuice sort of take advantage of that. But we also see Beetlejuice in the way that he's holding on to things, his hate for his mother. Mm-hmm. Spoiler being Juno. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a big part of the healing process, I think, is sort of forgiving and letting go mm-hmm. or, you know, accepting, you know, even if that means friends or enemies is part of that healing process. So what what do we think? Would do we think Lydia ultimately needed everything that happened to happen? Um, I will preface this by saying I probably have a little bit of a biased opinion because um, sure. sure, sure, sure. I mean, I for for years after my mother's death, I literally did the same thing where I just yeah. I had dreams about her. I thought I saw her. I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hear her say my name. I wanted, I wanted so many things. And I think that it just naturally comes from the psyche of a child who has lost a parent unexpectedly. When you lose your parents, you feel like you're an orphan, even though you never were. And so her father is practically dead to her because he's pawning her off on Delia and he's not, he won't say Emily's name and he, he just wants her to, um, you know, some of the lyrics say, you know, things like, um, you just want me to smile and clap like a performing seal. Like, that's all you want is for me to do this for you because that's going to make you happy. But nobody cares about what I feel. And the only person who cared about me was my mom because we did all these things together and she was always there for me. And now she's gone. 
So who do I have? And I mean, I will say from a personal perspective that no, it's not healthy at all because all you do is focus your energy on something that can never happen to you again. And it's not until you go through that stage of grief and you you go to acceptance that it's like, I lost them, but I didn't lose what they meant to me and I didn't lose the parts of me that honor them and I didn't lose the memories that I have of them and... There it is. Cry count number two. Um, You can't ever lose what they gave to you to make you who you are. You have to go through that stage to then be able to accept that they are gone. And that's what she and Charles do at the end when she goes, Mama, I'm going home. And... It's such a beautiful moment, too. You've got to have it. It's so beautiful. You've got to have it. From an outsider's perspective, you can say, like, why is she harping on this so much? I I just knew that there would absolutely have to be different ideas of, like, what's going through your head and what what, different wants overall. And I I I can only I can only imagine. And I I I think you are one of the strongest people ever, because I think it's one of those things uh, forged in fire. Iron forged in fire. Thank you. No, you're supposed to be scared. We're so sorry. It didn't work. There's one thing that can still stop him. Lydia, no. You don't know what will happen. I can't keep living like this. Beetlejuice. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm so glad you changed your mind. You are never going to regret this. Beetlejuice. We are going to make such a great team. Give me just one more. It's showtime. Well, completely switching gears. Um, so I called uh, Beetlejuice a lovely uh, Disney chicken chip version of what he was in the film. What do you think? I know you kind of have a love obsession over Alex Brightman and his portrayal. I, of course I, I do. Of course I do. I had, but again, once I sort of accepted that this is within the cartoon canon, <laughs> I suddenly looked at Alex Brightman's portrayal of Beetlejuice as pretty much perfection. But what do you what do you think of the changes? Do you think there was enough of the grotesque of the uh like we said they had to take out a lot of that raunch uh, <laughs> to to make it able for the tourist families to come see the show. Maybe relate relatability is the wrong word but I think it's about the closest thing I can think of right now. I think they needed to make him somewhat more approachable especially because he does kind of take a narrator position like in the very beginning of the film or the of the show so they needed to give him a little bit more anima which is funny because he's a demon and he's dead i think that it's something that we we don't necessarily get with the source material i love michael keaton his performance is iconic there is no other person who will ever really be beetlejuice i mean that's just who he is but i think when you look at beetlejuice from the film you don't really know what his objective is like you don't know what he wants you don't know like why he wants to be let out we don't know why he is so desperate for that and you know we know desperate men do crazy things but like i think it was nice to give beetlejuice as a character a a super objective and a want and the want was to be human like he wanted to come back and he wanted to he wanted to be among the living because he wanted people to see him and that's well he wanted to experience life in a way too 
exactly yeah. yes um although it is you know the the craptastic disney version of that i think that it is <laughs> it's still i mean it's it's almost rude to say that because he's making like drug references and orgy references so it's i mean but but i, I mean i, I but can only imagine what it was in the for that first draft of this show but. yeah i i think that they still they still needed him to be a dirty old man because again he's been dead for 200 years and creepy old guy oh my god i got my <laughs> creepy old guy but i think that yeah they needed to give him a little bit more anima i think to be on the same level as with the journey that the maitlands go through the journey that lydia and charles and delia that everybody goes through to like everybody has that kind of that need that they that they are pursuing and if they didn't give that to beetlejuice and he just was kind of like the narrator character like i don't necessarily think i would have liked it as much had he not had a goal in mind so ultimately i think that's why they did that was just to put him on par with the rest no i I think you're right i really do like beetlejuice having this sort of super objective um but i found it hard sometimes to buy in to maybe trying to feel sorry for him oh sure when he's sitting up on the roof alone and doing that because he's also throwing in his beetlejuicisms and so you're (laughs) laughing and you're like I really can't take you seriously. Like, am I supposed to feel bad for you? You're, you're invisible <laughs> when you're me. It grounded the character of Beetlejuice totally. and gave him that backstory that we don't get. We where does he come from? Mm-hmm. Where where is that? Um, the, what is what was it said? Some of the um, like fan lore uh, from the film are like, oh, did was Beetlejuice actually like? this spider that was crawling on the Maitland's model house. Uh-huh. So there was this whole like thing, like, what is he? What is this? What, you know, where does he come from? Sure. Um, but it, I like that it gives them this demon background. They give him a mother. Mm-hmm. They give him like the objective with stakes. Right. Absolutely. And, um, but that's kind of my next point. Uh, a lot of the stakes to me are lost in this show in the second act because they keep tripping themselves up. I could see that. Old Guy is not a stakes-filled song to me because it's kind of a jovial, fun, jokey, hey, we're tricking him, but we're going to make it Broadway. I don't know. The the stakes just got lost and I was not invested in like, oh, there's peril involved. Oh, there's danger, which you feel culpably in that film. Like you're like, oh, my God, they're going to die. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that 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 was something I thought was maybe a little weak. However, I would never get rid of creepy old guy because it's such a funny <laughs> they, song. They took a they took a major what I can only imagine as they were writing this musical script. They're like, there is pedophilia in this show. <laughs> What do we do? Yep. Let's call it out. Yep. <laughs> and write a song about it. We can't believe do? some cultures think this kind of thing's all right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, <clears throat> it does what it needs to do. But I just wish I had more of a tightening in my chest of like, are they going to make it? Is it going to be a thing? Is it okay? Because sure. it just sort of happens. Sure. Panic and stress. Panic and stress. Oh, ain't it the best? Ain't it the best? The sound of a heart, heart exploding inside a chest. It fills you with pride. We're ruining lives. Ain't it the sweetest noise in town? That beautiful sound. Hey, you know what would make this even more awesome? What? More me. Let's talk about Otho. Oh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Otho. Otho's absence in this musical is a gay hate crime. And then his appearance is also a gay hate crime. (laughs) 
I can't even hit a button. I j- I'm I'm not. <laughs> oh. I really appreciate, you know, Otho's character is one that kind of harkens back to is like the Easter egg from the film, right? Where he's there in the very beginning with, you know, Delia as they're going through the house and marking it. And then he's only there for the dinner with Maxie Dean. Then it blows out of proportion. And then that's the end of his character, right? I mean, he's just kind of there just for the spectacle of the thing. And so the fact that he's the one that like brings in the spirit box, trying to like capture the demon, not knowing a single damn thing about how to use anything. I appreciate where they, where they went with it, but I mean, my opinion be damned. Why is it a gay hate crime? It's just my personal feelings, but no. So also to me, I want to know these personal feelings. So much of like part of this film and uh, he was on screen Almost as much as Beetlejuice was. Yeah, it's yeah. Even as though as a minor character, but like he was very, very much a part of Delia's story. She's constantly quoting him in in this musical. So he's he's living and he's there in spirit. Sure, but um, no pun intended there. Uh, literally, yeah. I would have loved to see what type of stage interaction they would have had in this dynamic at the beginning. But then he finally does show up and it's absolutely everything you want. And then I look back. This is so tropey. I'm almost offended. <laughs> <laughs> but I accept it because it's a perfect characterization, but I'm offended. <laughs> but... So a gay hate crime because we don't see him soon enough, and then also a gay hate crime because of yeah. how how flamboyant did, yeah. he. Oh, okay, it's just a little sure. bit like oh, we took the easy way because I loved almost the ambig- ambiguity of it. Of Otho was just Otho, and we didn't talk about it in 1988 when this film launched. No, but we knew. We all we knew. all knew. It was it was version on almost too much. I appreciated that we had it because when he wasn't in the first act, I went, oh, was he? Are we not going to get him? Are we just going to get these references to Otho? I'm going to be so pissed off. <laughs> and then he finally showed up. So, like, I'm, I was well, we fine with that. Oh, that must be the reason she sees us. Like, overall, what was it like seeing this show live in New York in its closing month? The buzz around being in the theater itself, like, going in and sitting down. Like, I was able to snap a picture, which I might share, um, I might send you to share on our socials, um, right before the theater was actually filling up with people because we were the first to be in there. And I was able to get a shot of the empty theater seats in front of me and just the sign that says Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. When that curtain opened and the prologue began, I immediately burst into tears not because we were at a funeral sequence for a mother, but because my first Broadway experience was with a show that I fell in love with hard and fast. And then I got to see Broadway actors live on stage doing the thing that I have done as a community member for years of my life and getting to see these people paid to be powerhouses and icons of their industry 
was unbelievable. The musical prowess, listening to Carrie Butler, there is nothing more beautiful than listening to Carrie Butler hit her high note in Barbara 2.0. There was nothing like hearing Alex Brightman crack jokes at people during the whole being dead thing. The technical prowess of this show, pyrotechnics and projections and puppetry uh, and... We didn't talk about the set at all. I would watch this show over and over again for the set. The entire set. Yeah. The entire Maitland's house was on casters and the stage rolled out after this, after the funeral sequence is done. It is absolutely just, it was so perfect. And it was so, it was campy and beautiful. It took you into a world that you bought in immediately that this is just how things happened. Uh, My heart, I'm pretty sure stopped in my chest. It was so the timing of everything is unbelievably precise and it is some a level of theater a stage management that i would aspire to because it is so quick just at the end of the show when they all sing you know jump in the line and they're doing their their curtain call at the end of it they all you know sing rock your body and work your body all the time and they have these streamers that pop out in the audience And it just rained black streamers and they're all clapping for each other. And I just remember holding on to a streamer and just crying going, I, oh my God, I was in the room where it happened and I will never, I will never be the same again. And that hangs at my desk to this day is that little streamer that I caught in the theater, uh, in the last, the last month of this show's life. (laughs) I really, really want to know. If you think there is any weak points in the show. (laughs) They exist. Of course they do. And I'm not I'm not going to say that they don't. I think that while I can defend the idea of Charles hiding this relationship with Delia from Lydia, because then it fuels her to really go into the afterlife and try to find her mom. um, I would say that 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 is a weak point. It, because of the fact that it it does seem a little bit kind of thrown in. It does lead to Charles's character where he's like not being forthright with anybody, including himself. So he's like, yeah. you know, I'm just hiding it because I'm trying to protect her feelings. Like she's too young of a kid. She won't understand. The dinner, the whole dinner sequence for me in the musical was not as much as I think it could have been as it was in the film. I mean, obviously the stage only allows for certain amounts of technical ability to be able to pull something like that off. So film, you already get an advantage because you can do things like ADR and all that kind of thing but it wasn't as organized as I hoped it would have been the Girl Scout because it leads into beautiful sound I don't think we necessarily needed the part of the Girl Scout because it was oh my god thank you that was it's actually one of the weak things I'm like why do we have a Girl Scout there's no this whole in start inside the house People visit houses for various reasons. Exactly. It could have been a thing. We've said it before. It is that palate cleanser. It's a lime sorbet. It's, yes. I also thought about this, though, where I'm like, why? Why would they do this? They're reminding us of our mortality mm-hmm. before we go back into like sort of this death thing. Because the Girl Scout has a heart condition where if anything sets her off, she might die. Correct. But we don't even get the payoff that she dies. Nope. She gets to look. She gets to go. Yep. So... 
Well, because if she died, we would have had another ghost to deal with. <laughs> exactly. Too many ghosts. Not, too many ghosts. But not enough time. Ergo, you never get to complete this weird storyline they've suddenly inserted that has no payoff. But it only then does remind us we are mortal and puts us back into this mindset of what's scary and what could happen and what is impending to all of us as human. Sure. So I get it. <laughs> but I agree. I'm actually going to disagree on Deo. Okay. Say, say my name on the roof into Deo that got me. I was like, okay, actually, you know what? This musical, I'm gonna I'm going to enjoy this musical. Because I <laughs> it's finally giving me it was finally the moment I think I've I'd been craving because everything else had been such a departure. Cause we'd already met Beetlejuice. Didn't even appear on a gravestone, which would have been really easy at the beginning. Instead, he appeared on the coffin. I'm like, dude, just like shift it for two seconds. Give us that Easter egg. Do something. His name and was the, on one of the tombstones, though. Oh, oh, that was a fun thing. Um, the scientific name of the star is uh, something like an, an Andronis Orionis or something mm-hmm. or whatever. But there's an Andrew Orionis on one of the gravestones. And then a shout out to Tim Burton because what the other gravestone reads uh, who's the who's the, of course I can't remember the name. The woman he always uses in everything. On the bottom Carter. But there's something there's like an alluding looting to her on one of them mm-hmm. and I was like oh my gosh that's a huge shout out of Easter egg so is. that's funny of course it is. so like there were little things I enjoyed but I'm like Ugh. but I really only bought in once Deo happened and I because I thought how are they going to do this how are they going to do Deo on stage because you can't close up on the table you can't do that mm-hmm. they're going to have to use the entire room so I think I gave that one a lot more leeway the only thing about the scene I thought was corny were that we could see the Maitlands, like up on the stairs doing everything. Yep. I almost would have rather them not been there and just let it be. I can see why maybe it had less of an impact or it wasn't as what maybe what it should be and it was just chaos. So Well, I think it too, because it was seeing it live, like my eyeball could only go to certain things at a time, whereas the <sighs> yeah. film hones in on one thing and you are seeing Catherine O'Hara talk about this and like put her face in shrimp cocktail like you the lens causes you to do that but i feel like yeah over multiple watches had i purchased multiple tickets and gone to every single show like i would have watched you would have picked up everything absolutely it's my weak points really are just the the easter eggs i'm missing and like some of the call outs that i feel could have been the easy fixes like the first first scene with adam he, uh, barbara asks hey uh how was the drive or whatever and then adam walks in and be like oh just traffic on the bridge or whatever and i was like oh they're referencing the bridge perfect perfect time to bring up the dog or something no instead he talks about like oh tractor and i went just just say a dog wouldn't move say something bring up the dog that killed you but no (laughs) something like and that would have been an easy fix just like little things like that that i just go why why didn't that happen i think it's a solid show and i like every individual piece of it if i forget everything that i love about my iconic cult classic and i just accept this show for what it is i love listening to this music and i love listening to the soundtrack and so i I can't dog this show but i can absolutely dog it in the same breath so sure so i give it all up for the netherworld i've been here forever girl if i was more clever girl i would have snuck it out knowing what life's about Joy and suffering, failing but recovering. I'll tell you another thing. Everyone here is alone. So if you are breathing, go home. <laughs>
What's your favorite part about this show? Oh, God. You get one. Oh, well, boo. Um, Honestly, my favorite part of this show was, as far as like a music, from a musical standpoint, um, it was Say My Name. That is literally one of my favorite songs because he goes, oh my God, like, what do we got here? And he stops Lydia from jumping off of the roof. And they have this beautiful moment where she's like, uh, I'm actually smarter than you think I am. So like, I'm not going to do this for you. And I think that's why I say my name is when I finally started fully tuning in and loving it. Cause I'm like, this writing is smart. Mm-hmm. She is a smart girl. And this is exactly what I would expect from a Beetlejuice musical. This is why this show's great. Yep. And what people are like connecting to. So yeah. Beetlejuice has this, this um, monologue moment before we, you know, encounter the Maitlands and, and do all these things because it drops at the beginning of the show and drops at the end of the show. He yells, tell my story at the yes. beginning and at the end. Excellent bookends, quote, if you will. Bookends. To yeah. the idea that the only thing that survives when you die is the story that is told about you. But that, that moment of him and Lydia bonding over that and going, I need you to do this for me. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it because you're a creepy guy. But maybe I can find a way to do this without you. <laughs> and then it develops their relationship into the end of act one. And then through act two, where he gets really hurt by the fact that she won't you know like help him or that she won't hang out with him anymore and he's like bait and switch oldest trick in the book like it's just it's oh it's like it's a payoff when Lydia uses it against him so yeah it's perfect set is my strong point like I said I I would watch the show strictly like screw these characters I would just watch the set move and like all the technical all day all day Uh, when he pops up on that toaster lift oh oh my god so and Sandy the sandworm (laughs) right Uh, and that huge face oh it's so good we've come for Um, your daughter Chuck Delia even though I dislike this change to her character and I feel like other things could have happened I still love that in the end she's something I look forward to and steals the show a little bit like love it i would almost say in some ways i look more forward to her coming on stage than beetlejuice and that's that's fair yeah yeah um and then the payoff moment at the very end when they're trying to con beetlejuice to get him dead Mm -hmm. (laughs) or back sent away to the netherworld Mm -hmm. adam's moment standing up to beetlejuice is like that end professing of his love because of all of the come-ons throughout the entire show finally worked and it's all the ruse but i'm like are you kidding me but you finally get to see adam 2.0 right you get to see this like new ballsy version of adam and it's so hilarious it was unexpected but it paid off because of all the little nuggets they give you throughout the show. That may be my favorite moment in the show just because it caught me off guard and I belly rolled. It was so good. You know, that's what he's been craving this whole time as he makes all these references to like, come on, let's make out a bit. And they go, ew. They understand that that's how they're going to get him is that they have to be the bait and then they'll do the bait and switch. And that's, I mean, it's exactly what happens. And he's like, all the times that you've pinched my butt and you've done all these things and how did you know that it was it so good? And it's just it's like, oh, so <laughs> uh, because then you see a weak moment of Beetlejuice go, holy shit, that actually worked. Oh my God. And he like freaks out. And he's like, oh God, he, oh, he did yeah. touch me. And it's like, mm-hmm. 
But, it, you know, it goes back to that human thing of, well, again, wanting to be touched and seen and held and loved and be held and, and, and all. I, but I do appreciate the moment when he does become human and he goes and, oh, and, and it's just the sound of the birds is so happy. And, and then, but what if I don't have any more? And that makes me really sad. And then if you take it away from right. me, I am so mad. It's like, I take it back. I don't want to be human. I don't want to yeah. be human anymore. <laughs> song in the show i'm having a hard time with this question do you want to know what i actually my favorite favorite home is so good as a singer i would love to be able to have the range of elizabeth teeter who ended up being lydia sure. through the final run of the show um but it is um that's kind of high for me in my range and i'm, I'm working on that um my favorite song is the whole being dead thing because it's it does it does such a good job of setting you up for what is about to happen only followed by fright of their lives because fright of their lives no. is so freaking it's of, such fri- a fright of their lives is so good i know i hate the opening number of the show and i think i'm so biased because i will forever be tainted after seeing the opening of heathers i will compare every other opening number to heathers opening number and i will just be like no that's not good enough <laughs> And that is your executive prerogative I, I to know. have. Like me, I'm worried. Like as a choreographer, next time I choreograph a show, I'm going to be like, do something just as good, if not better. Like, how am I How am I going to uphold this? Overall, I think my favorite song, I love what they did with the closing. Oh, number. with Jump in the Line. Yep. Because it, it transitions so beautifully into Jump in the Line and then into Home and like, all the all the themes are like talked about and it's it's truly it, it it's the perfect button to what we just went through yeah. and uh it, it it just goes so so well with this show yeah have you guys seen lolita this is just like that but fine creepy old Questions for Table Read. It's my favorite part. You'll see. They almost all know how to read. Table Read. But up. Never gets old. Women. Does this pass the test of women? See, this is a really hard one for me because usually there is kind of a a hard and fast like we can say like equivocally kind of yes or no like in the first season we had a lot of those shows that did that for me this represents Lydia represents the ability to be able to be a you know strong independent woman who has her own Mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings and can see when she's being manipulated this also plays into kind of the stereotype of women you know like being dumb and ditzy looking at Delia and like oh I just need to like channel the universe and like Otho I just follow Otho because he's my guru and then like Barbara being helpless and inept and just like exactly but they all sort of get their like turning point I would say yes because it does although it deals with stereotypes of women everybody like you said still kind of gets their payoff and so 
I mean, even Juno gets, you know, being a mother of someone that, you know, she's like, my God, you're like such a screw up. Like, I don't understand why you can't just. ah." Does the show pass the test of race? So with I mean, this show obviously does not call for anything specifically. The source material doesn't call for anything. The show itself does not require people to be of a certain of a certain race to do so. I think that with the casting of the Broadway cast, they had a diverse cast because they had people of color they had um i mean they had a a myriad of different people it wasn't just you know obviously Mm -hmm. all white actors and now looking at the touring version of this show they have an african-american woman playing barbara so and they have an african-american woman playing delia or not delia excuse me lydia um so they they are i think it's it is very inclusive we well when did we talk about this and phantom if you have the talent use it it. cast it absolutely representation (laughs) I think there are so many, but yes, uh, no fair. (laughs) There are so many amalgamous, like sexual fluidity is just a very, is like a theme of this show. But also just the fact that Beetlejuice is so open and fluid and just whatever is also speaking to the moment. It's speaking to whatever. And just like, it doesn't matter, but also he's also like the worst kind of guy. So are we, do we, do we, look at that and put that on that i don't know i don't think it's represented great but it, there is representation yeah so, whatever it's fine whatever it's fine <laughs> I, I mean i forget i forgive i forgive otho it's fine i love it because again like we talked about in season one do we give it a pass because it's a campy show like yeah, do we give I think it i that? do so. i think i do yeah. and i'll accept it does this story hold up without the music i, I mean cult classic film obviously yep i has to has to i'd say so and it's the character of beetlejuice is interesting enough you could put him in any type of story and it would be fine sure because it's going to cause mayhem and interest totally that's that's interesting yeah absolutely amateur or professional scale of one to ten where does this land i'm gonna say i'm scared for when this options to the uh community and regional theaters i think they are going i think there's going to be the best of reddit kind of like we have the milky white the worst of milky white or the Mm -hmm. best of milky white from into the woods there's going to be versions of this with a lot of aspects of this show i think that i i mean part of me obviously uh, having seen it uh, in what could be said is its original format on Broadway. Like obviously Broadway, like you're, you're sitting at a 10. I mean, like you've got access to resources that other places are not going to have. But I would say that I would actually love to see a, the, I can't wait for the touring version of this show because the touring version makes it accessible. And I think they, a lot of the, cause I follow the Beetlejuice tour management on Instagram as well. And so they show a lot of behind the scenes of the way that they were able to translate it from Broadway to touring. And so things like, like the Maitland house does not come out on casters, but it is a full stage that they're a full like set that they're able to like put up and they load into a truck and they, they change yeah. things like with him instead of coming up on the toaster lift, like he runs out from stage, but they still have things like the, you know, the puppeteers and the pyrotechnics. And I mean, obviously based on what theater you're in. So, I mean, I would say I would give this at least a solid eight and a half. Like if you're on that scale, we've, we've never had a show before that we've covered thus far. That is so set in the little truck tricks of things that you need sure. to have happen. Like yeah. so many minor things have to happen to show the spirit side, the sort of magical abilities that these people have. Sure. And so the special effects alone for this show make it hard. So I, I, I'm actually going to be lower than you. 
I'm gonna say seven. I usually reserve seven to like hard dance shows. I don't consider this a hard dance show. I I call this a hard technical show. Fifty years from now, will it still be being staged? My heart wants to say yes. It really, really does. But I mean, if I'm I. I would hope that it was just because the film it is so iconic and it is so rooted yeah. in in pop culture and it is a cult classic. But I mean, much like, you know, as times change and people find different cult classics and different staples, the generation will change. The generation that we are in loves Beetlejuice for what it is. The generation that is 10 years, you know, our junior doesn't know what Beetlejuice is because they didn't grow up with it. They don't know what it is. And so, like, they're only going to know about it because it was on Broadway. They're not going to know about it from what it was. And so I would I would like to say yes, but I don't know if it will. Actually, I think it might. I love that you disagree with me on everything. This has been great. This entire show has been this weird diverge from our normalcy, but I love it. I think it might. And here's why. I specifically looked for it because I watched this stage version twice to ensure that I had the thoughts I had on this show. The second time I watched it, I looked for specific things that put it in an era. They took out everything Mm -hmm. that could put this in an era there there's no specific call-outs to time they've uh, so this could have happened in the 80s this could have happened contemporarily this could happen in the future so i think they allowed themselves the ability if people want to put it on it's also a theme the overarching theme of this particular musical is timeless death and loss and overcoming that and also are we living our best lives sure to the fullest. And I think that resonates. I don't know. I'm a little 50-50, but I think it stands a chance of well, being on in 50 years. With the cult following that it currently has, especially with the with the touring version of the show and and I mean with all of the with all of the power that it got from its run yeah. on Broadway, I mean I I think that it yeah, it absolutely has steam. And I would that's why I said I would hope that this is still done 50 years from now. Yeah. Because of we'll all see. of the things that are in it. So time will tell. And of course, finally, would we show the show to aliens? Hell yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, if they were wanting to invade, I'd sit them down and be like, here's what you're dealing with. And they'd probably leave. And they'd probably <laughs> leave. Yeah. I'd Final thoughts on Beetlejuice, the musical. Oh boy, there again, they, you don't have enough time. Um, but I think that it is a beautiful story about how to lose someone you care about and then discover who you truly are because of them. And I think that it is a story about what you are, the lengths you are willing to go to try to get the thing that you think you so desperately need. 
and it's absolutely just it can it can be a deep musical for those who are looking for meaning it can be a campy romp for those who are just looking for a good time but i think no matter who watches it someone will always get something out of it whether it is good or bad that is the magic of theater that is in fact the magic of theater i I like this show. I do. I, I have so many things that I can say negatively. I would change. I don't enjoy character choices. Da, da, da. But again, this was the perfect example of forgetting and losing myself and what I expect and just removing all of that and just sitting down and watching the show. And then realizing this is a great show Mm -hmm. and it has so many themes that I think so many people can connect with and we can find ourselves in these characters and we can get lost in the campy fun bits that are familiar to us because of a cult classic film with a rich fun history steeped in its own fun quirks. So I, I enjoy that and I am so, so happy we are back recording for another season mary same i can't even Uh, i can't even believe it it's just it's a beautiful beautiful dream and i'm just thrilled about it well uh i have a fun little teaser about our next show oh i thought we had left this behind like i get to i i have to guess i think you have a better shot at getting this because we have a theme right we have a theme yeah you know yeah but i mean like here there are so many shows that could fall into that category and i'm just and this is what's funny so we had a few people reach out and say what shows they wanted and then on top of it uh like as i was streaming stringing together maybe some shows i was thinking about doing or we didn't get to do in our season one i thought what's the theme of these what's the what's the connection point that we can sort of talk about and death was one of them so i thought oh this is a lovely and it's death in all of its forms so my fun teasing fact about our next show this show uh has been converted into over 21 languages because of its popularity oh god what wow all right 21 i mean my my god i don't i don't i don't done barely know english then let alone 20 other languages um well so uh, eloquent thank you baby well whilst i ruminate on 21 different languages will you drop our socials really fast for our lovely listeners I sure can. Of course, please always, uh, if you want to comment, hate us, send us some demons uh, our way, please uh, just don't say our name three times. We'll pop up in front of you Uh, on Instagram. We are from the top underscore podcast and our email. If you want to really chew us out or send us an entire book of the recently deceased, uh, please email us at podcast from the top at gmail.com. Well, uh, welcome to season two. Y'all better buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride. And until next time, this has been from the top. A Wandering Unicorn production. So scale of one to ten, where's our friend meter?
at the moment. I don't know.